this National Careers Week, and with a survey from Arla revealing Gen Z want to work in jobs that tackle climate change, the agricultural industry has a lot to offer to young people. I'm Farmers Guardian Head of News and Business Alex Black, and on this week's episode of Over the Farm Gate, we're taking a look at the career opportunities available in farming. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Friday, so make sure that you're subscribed on your favourite podcast platform. Later on in the podcast, we'll be talking to a young farmer who's farming in quite an unusual location, the East End of London. But first of all, I've got Farmers Guardian's new editor, Olivia Midgley, here with me. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me on. So do you want to take us through some of your plans now you've been announced as editor? Yeah, well, thanks very much. So, yeah, it's, it's a big week because it was International Women's Day this week. And it's also a year to the week that my son would have been born if he hadn't have arrived a month early. So I feel it's it's quite a big week um, for me personally, also for the brand. It all seems very fitting. It's a real privilege to, to lead this historic brand at such a pivotal time for agriculture. And it's also a really key time for our business as we refocus our digital offerings. And uh, as you know, Alex, we've got this fantastic new website coming down the track soon, which I think will really improve the user experience, which is so important. And we've also got our fantastic print product as well, um, which is something to really be proud of. So I'm really looking forward to driving that forwards as well. Um, and I think, as you say, you know, for me as a journalist starting off in local news and having that emphasis on communities telling the stories of people who sometimes might struggle to get their voices heard really making a difference um and you know that that's what we're all in journalism for isn't it and and farming i don't think is any different to that i see it as a, as a big community facing major challenges um and as you know it's also an incredibly warm highly skilled forward-looking industry um and a big part of what FG does is shining a light on those good news stories, that best practice, those characters, the heritage, the innovation, communicating that all to the, to the wider public as well. So, yeah, it's a really exciting time and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future and working with such a fantastic team as well. Yeah, and you mentioned International Women's Day. It's quite a, you know, we've got quite a lot of women on the team that you'll be, be leading. Just tell us a little bit about some of the uh, some of the team besides yourself. Yeah, so as you say, we, we really have got a brilliant team. It's uh, We've won many awards for our journalism, and I think we really do put good journalism at the heart of everything we do at Farmers Guardian. We've got some fantastic uh, reporters with, you know, really highly skilled um, journalists on the team. And, I, you know, I think as an editor, that obviously makes my job a lot easier. But I think it also means that, you know, we, we're doing the best to serve our readers. And at the end of the day, that that's what we're here for. And so National Careers Week, hopefully there might be some people listening who are thinking about going into agricultural journalism. Uh, so tell us a little bit, you said you started out in local news. So how did you get into journalism? Yeah, so quite a unique story in that I knew I wanted to be a journalist when I was at school. Uh, I think I was yeah 12 or 13 and we were in a, a careers lesson and we were given this massive book of, of different jobs and as I was flicking through, um, I was looking and looking at everything, what, you know, what everything means. And um, I saw, you know, journalist, unfortunately, it was the lowest paid industry that I could have chosen. Um, but that didn't deter me. Um, and it 
what I what I did was I I did a lot of stuff for free so I was writing stories and just sending them to editors um asking for them to be published because I heard that work experience and having stories published was the way to get a job luckily for me um it it paid off so I had a little bit of uh, work experience at my local newspaper, the Spember Guardian, which is still going, um, that's owned by Johnston Press. Um, and yeah, they gave me a, a shot. And it, when I finished my degree in journalism at, at Sheffield Uni, um, a job came up at the Dewsbury Reporter Group, which was then the York, Yorkshire Weekly Newspaper Group, part of Yorkshire Post. Um, which a lot of you guys will know. Um, and yeah, I. Uh, I got the job unbelievably straight out of uni, which is 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 quite um is quite unique, I think. And then from there, uh, went into local regional news, and then started at Farmers Guardian in twenty eleven as a reporter. And then twelve years later, I'm editor. So yeah, it's a <laughs> quite a journey. Do you have any advice for people that might be looking to get into agricultural journalism? Yeah, so I really would encourage people to look at the British Guild of Agricultural Journalists website, uh, which is a it's a fantastic uh, organisation, which I'm a member of and have been, and, and obviously we all are members of. Um, I'm on, on council for that. And it really is such a worthwhile um, resource in terms of training and different opportunities. And again, a fantastic community of journalists and PR professionals. Um, so it's a good it's a good place to start. Um, also, if you really are interested in journalism, then check out the NCTJ website, which is obviously the national um, organization for, for training journalists. And there's you know lots of handy tips, pieces of ad advice, and just you know really great people to to talk to. Always ask questions if if you're not sure. Just ask ask questions. There's always so many people around to ask. Um, and it yeah, I I can't tell you what a a rewarding sector it is so yeah just give it a try and that work experience as well I think you know from my own experience you've talked about getting that experience in local newspapers I got quite a bit of experience in local radio before I started my degree in journalism that's so important getting in you know seeing it firsthand as well isn't it I think you're right and I think it's similar to farming as well, isn't it? So we get so many people talking in Young Farmer Focus about how difficult it is to get a job on farm because they haven't got the experience. But then if you're not given a chance, how do you get the the experience? So yeah, it's it's a tricky one. But I think the key thing that we've probably learned, Alex, is it's that determination and drive, isn't it? People want to see that. Um, they want to see evidence of the fact that you, you have really gone over and above to try you're not going to get it handed on a plate um, and I think that's I think that's fair enough um, and you know a lot of the the journalists that we've taken on have, have followed a similar pathway haven't they um, and showed us that you know that they really are passionate about not only the industry but but writing um, and talking to people communicating that and I think for one of the biggest roles that we have is communicating farming's message and, and what it delivers um, not only for food production, but for the economy, for rewarding careers, and actually communicating that to the to the wider public and to a non-farming audience. That's something that our readers always say time and time again that they really want us to do. 
um, you know, we want you to to talk to people outside of the industry on our behalf. So yeah, it's a it's a a math communication is obviously a, a massive uh, part of what we do. And is that going to be something that's a big priority for you as editor? I know you've had lots of success in the past with your take the lead campaign. You know, getting that out to the wider public. That's going to be a big priority for you. Yeah, I think that. FG has always been seen as a, a campaigning title, so we've 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 run various um, public awareness and um, campaigns in the past. I think that's true journalism, right? I think that you know it, it's about fighting um, on behalf of our our readers and getting their voices heard. So we've got other fantastic campaigns like Farming Can as well, which has seen some great success um, in the last couple of years, and that's something that we really want to supercharge. And uh, and and get that out to a, as I say, a, a a wider audience, and not not just farming. Now, the heart of East London is not where you'd expect to find a busy working farm, but alongside the hustle and bustle of city life, you'll also hear the sounds of pigs, cows, sheep, and chickens from one of the country's most loved urban farms. Farm manager Tom Davis has been catching up with our features editor, Emily Ashworth, about his career so far. Let's start, Tom, with obviously a bit about yourself and your background, because, you know, you weren't weren't born into farming. You kind of just found a love for it. How did that all happen? So, yeah, um, born and raised on a council estate in south west London, you know, and not really a hotspot for farmers or anything like that and it was basically by you know it's very lucky my my nan used to work for a family who inherited uh, a commercial working farm down on the south downs and it's uh you know was very lucky we sort of you know remained in touch and friends with them and i well, we'd go down there for a week every year during lambing and I'd help out with that and it was just you know I think it just got me then you know the sort of just everything you know the, the being outside the the way of life the the lambing the whole lot and everything you know it was just amazing and then that sort of lit the spark um, and then local to where I lived in London there was a city farm there I got involved with that or like visited was a regular visitor there and then decided that I wanted to volunteer so filled out the relevant forms and two weeks later after my first day I decided that that was it and came home and told me dad that I wanted to be a farmer Mm -hmm. now my dad is very stereotypically South London you know very strong south london accent um and runs the successful family sort of painting and decorating business and as you can imagine at eight or nine years of age i've told him that i wanted to be a farmer you know when i could take over a successful sort of very viable business his reaction at that age was not sort of what it was just very sort of flippant and fobbed it off really to be honest but you know now god forbid you are one of his clients um (laughs) because he's a very very proud dad and oh that's lovely yeah of me my brother and my sister but you know he'll 
tell them about you know all the things that I've done and whatever and what what we do and you know it, it's amazing so yeah would it's you not... have gone in, would you have gone into the family business then if if you had never kind of been you know I don't, um... think, I don't think I was destined to be a painter and decorator I'm not an indoor person and um that sort of scene really with you know people that try and pin me down in the office and stuff like that it's not really something yeah. that happens on a regular basis um i'm more so outside doing bits and pieces but obviously the position that i'm in now most of my time is spent dealing with staff rotors and stuff like that you know it wasn't the idyllic sort of dream that when i was younger i thought that i'd be out as a farm manager you know with the stock all day every day but I wouldn't change what I've done and what I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that wasn't an option, then yes, I think, you know, potentially would have gone uh, into the family business. And I think that was the, the, the thought process with my brother and my sister, but unfortunately none of us. So my dad's still working full time. Um, yeah. And yeah, so, you know, he hasn't got any of us taking over. What about what about school then? Because obviously, um, you know, we spoke the other day, and you know, you're quite young actually when you decided that you want, you know, this was the life that you wanted to kind of live and the career you want, wanted to go into. But you know, your story will be so representative of loads of other kids out there who kind of might want to think about farming, but might just probably get shut down straight away. What was your ex experience in school? So. Primary school, you know, was fine, you know, there wasn't really yeah. too much judgment. But moving then to secondary school, there wasn't anyone else in the school, the entire school, you know, and you're sort of an inner city secondary school, you're looking at mm, sort of 1,800, 2,000 pupils, if not a few more. Um, I was the only one that volunteered on a city farm and wanted to be a farmer. There was yeah. a few sort of splattering, a few that sort of rode horses or, you know, things like that. But I was the only one that was at the farm. Literally every spare minute, hour that I got holidays, even in the summer after school, I would be, you know, ringing the farm manager and asking, can I come, can I, come, you know, can I get to you at like three o'clock or whatever or half past three? And they'd be like, yeah, OK, come on then. And then, you know, any spare moment of time I had. But. It wasn't something that was that was seen as a as a viable career option not only by you know the other students who I got a lot of stick from you know yeah. as you can imagine uh, but also as well even from the careers advice sort of team I said I wanted to be a farmer I was told there's no chance of you being a farmer in London and not coming from a farming background you need to pick a different job a different career you know which uh, it, it made me more determined and all the way through everyone that has everyone that has ever shown any bit of doubt or judgment that has really just powered me on more and made me more determined to prove that you can do it and you know even at college, because the college that I went to, I studied animal management at a college that was on the sort of outskirts of London. 
a mainstream college taught everything from beauty to plumbing yeah. you know and as you yeah. can imagine a lot of the sort of uh the the, the other attendees weren't sort of open to the idea of people wanting to be farmers and thought that we were all sort of fluffy bunny huggers um which that was a sort of turning point for me for the realization that even people on my course were there because they were animal lovers as i am but i wanted to from a very early age wanted to go into farming to uh, you know well to produce food uh, and 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 to because I thought that it was just the sort of experience and exposure that I'd had to it up until that point was just something that I just wanted to do and that was it you know so so yeah I mean from an it, it bang smack in the middle of the capital city um, secondary schools you, you know and whatever it's starting to change a bit now but yeah wasn't it wasn't a sort of encouraged yeah sport. yeah I want to come back to the schools aspect of things because I think it's hugely important and I think it's where we need to kind of put a lot of our energy into as a, an industry. But let's talk about what you do now because I think it's so wonderful that you've almost come full circle in terms of what you're doing now because obviously you you know run Mudshoot Farm. Do you want to just tell people who don't know anything about you and, and the farm that you work on about what it is and kind of the key aspects of it? Yeah, so Mudshoot is 32 acres of land in the shadow of Canary Wharf, which is a really sort of random thing to see that we have cattle and sheep grazing with yeah. Canary Wharf and all of those buildings as a backdrop. Um, we are 32 acres of open space. The wider site is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, so people do have access in and around some of the stock grazing paddocks so you know the only way that i can describe it is having footpaths everywhere across your land and people being allowed to access it 24 hours a day you know um there are areas where people aren't allowed um but still go uh because farming is hard enough working with animals is challenging enough but then running a place like this in the middle of the city and dealing with the general public, the great British general public, who, if it wasn't for their support, we, we wouldn't exist. But, you know, yeah. it can be quite challenging at times. But we are, you know, a multifaceted organisation. We have a children's nursery, which um, uh, takes children from zero to five or zero to oh, four. Wow, I didn't um, know that, actually. You know, so we've got that there and that was set up um quite a few years ago now nearly 20 years ago and that was to plug the holes of the charitable branches of the association so the education department the farm department obviously we don't make a profit um and that was then set up to support that which it does but not massively so we see somewhere in the region of around 16,000 school aged children a year those are the only those are only sort of numbers from booked in sessions. So that would be uh, farm tours, that would be bread and butter making workshops, that would be things like that. But for example, last week at the February half term, we had between 1,500 and 2,000 people a day. City That's Farms 
all city farms, including us, are free for people to get into um, because it's um, it, it's to provide people with a fun, free and educational day out. And even more so now, and it's one of the reasons I think why we were so busy last week, is because the cost of living has risen and people aren't able to afford to take a family of three or four you know, out to somewhere like London Zoo or yeah, absolutely. some of the other theme parks or, you know, whatever else like that. It's too expensive, but they can come here, they can have a ride on a donkey, they can buy a bag of animal food and they can still have a fun and enjoyable sort of day out, you know, and that's what we strive to do. And I think more so now than ever, places like us can or should be used to bridge the gap between the town and countryside and the main reason for that is because there is a bit of a change now people are more sort of understanding of food you know I say that it's starting to change it needs to change a lot more yeah, um, yeah. But it's it's starting to change and people want that provenance they want that traceability you know and we in the UK as British farmers produce some of the finest products in the world and I'm very passionate in talking about it and you know yes we are very small scale and we do produce beef lamb pork you know but it's still farming I'm still teaching children adults where food comes from because they don't realize you know we had red pole cattle here before and um, children used to ask if uh, chocolate milkshake came from brown cows. Yeah. And I said if that yeah. was the case, all of my cows would be brown. Um, you know, or the fact that they think that eggs come from a supermarket and stuff like that, you know, already pre-boxed. And it's those little things. And even the adults have Yeah, I hear that. this so much. Yeah. And, and the thing is, as well, I think a lot of places, especially open farms, children's farms and stuff like that, they can be quite apprehensive of talking about food and food production because there is a lot of criticism out there for eating animals and stuff like that. But I've found it to not be the children. The children do not have the problem. The children are very receptive to the idea. And once you give them an honest answer, then they're, they're able to go with it. And the one question yeah. that I ask every child that comes here every school group i ask the same question at every group of animals that we get to and that is i am a farmer my job is to produce something that people drink wear or eat what do we get from the animals behind me or the animals i'm in with and that is then where we have the discussion you know and you get the free things from sheep and cattle and stuff like that you know and that is the same question that's asked from little tiny dots of tiny little nursery kids and then obviously it's a deeper more um, sort of meaningful discussion with older uh, students and and you know but it's that's in a sense what we do we are one of only two statutory nature reserves within the london borough of tower hamlets which i think in the last lot of stats was in the top 10 of the most deprived boroughs in the entire uk right, okay yeah we have the largest um concentration of bengali people in the uk um 
so the bar is very diverse um, and this is the thing is we reach such a number of different people not only from different backgrounds yeah. but also of different abilities and stuff like that yeah yeah this is what i was just about to say you are so perfectly placed it's unreal um and in terms of you know looking at how you know we are crying out for people to just recognize our industry as like you know a viable career option what's what reaction do you get from children you know when when you talk to them and you and they see you farming and they see your career and they see that it's in the you know in the heart of london what what's the reaction that you get i think it's it's one of them things really where the kids really like it you know kids like the fact that you know they're talking to a farmer they expect to see someone that's got a check shirt on because that's a very stereotypical something for to identify farmers you know um and yeah a lot of them don't expect me to be young they you know i think you know if you were to go on the average age of farmers people always expect farmers to be you know gray-haired and old men yeah. they don't yeah. expect them to be from london and obviously you know i'm not as thick with my south london accent as what my dad is but then he did tell us um that sounding like him got him nowhere in life and people expect right. him to sound yeah. like that because he's a tradesman um and me and my brother and my sister he wanted us to sound different so we oh well at times it depends how many how many ciders i have but you know i can <laughs> it, it, does, it does come out at different times but um you know they don't expect me to be so young they don't expect me to be from london but you know one of the things i'm not saying that you know there are some very cliche terms out there like trailblazer and all this kind of stuff you know that's not me you know i'm not that person um but i have been lucky enough the way that i describe it is and i say this to the kids most children in my class wanted to be professional footballers not many of yep. them ever got to do that yep. i wanted to be a farmer and here i am you know so i am living the dream that i wanted to when i was young you know when i was little and i was playing with all the britain's farm toys on my nan and granddad's carpet and stuff like that when i was a kid you know um that's what i wanted to do um and i i just say to them you know you can do anything that you want to do and don't have anyone tell you that you can't because i encountered that but i showed people that i could and yeah, I have, yeah. you know, and it's to have that belief in yourself. And I was very lucky to have some very good teachers from a very early age. And, you know, I was told by a fantastic friend of mine, um, sadly, very recently, no longer with us, um, that a good stockman is born, they're never made, you know. So he, he was a fella from Derbyshire, moved down to Essex with his wife and retired from doing sort of livestock haulage and and stuff like that and i went to buy some donkeys from him and his wife happened to mention that i um wanted some white sheep with horns and he's just so happened to be the past chairman of the whiteface woodland sheep society got talking he sorted me out with half a dozen whiteface woodland ewes in lamb you know spoke to him regularly on the telephone he asked me then did i want to go and help show his longhorn cattle and have been friends were friends ever since and you know that was a derbyshire farmer um 
a man called Jeff Wilde who took a punt on a kid from the middle of an estate in London and he and his wife Bryony were main sort of some of the main people that got me into the showing but there's been other people along the along the lines as well a man called David yeah. who got yeah. me into Norfolk Horns and you know lots of people that have imparted their knowledge and you know those two sadly not no longer here but you know fantastic for what they did and and I think the whole thing is is it can be sometimes people don't think that people from outside of the industry would be any good at it but I don't know whether I'm any good at it you know I just try but <laughs> I think you're doing pretty well Tom look if we're, if we're really looking, <laughs> looking at what, everything that you're doing I think you're doing fantastically but I think the other thing is as well um I, I want to kind of talk about what what barriers you felt that you faced trying to like get into the industry because I think it was McDonald's that did the research last year and there was there was some key barriers that you know people said that they they felt about coming into farming one was um one was kind of trying to find people that look like them in the industry if you know from diverse backgrounds and different walks of life um which is understandable actually if, if you don't see anybody like yourself yeah. how can you relate and how can you think it's possible so i think that's quite key the other one was um uh, work-life balance we think it's kind of completely all work and no yeah. play if you will which you know it is hard work but i think there's got to be a, an edge of re realism there but what kind of barriers do you feel like you face and how do you well i mean sort of going back sort of, not so much from a directly personal point of view but talking about the diversity within ag you know it was just at the cusp of the likes of facebook coming about and stuff like that you know there wasn't really smartphones then but i, I say that like i'm ancient i'm only 36 you know but um, <laughs> i was what a farm, man. manager, farm manager of, <laughs> yeah but i'm closer to 40 than i am to 30 so you know now it's a, i've been told it's a downhill spiral um, but, uh, the i was a farm manager of a, of a farm called Vauxhall city farm where i used yeah. to volunteer and i was you know obviously through jeff wilde got into showing and decided that i was going to take my young farmers i had a very keen bunch of young farmers there that attended regularly and decided that i was going to take them showing now bearing in mind we had a sheep flock of six and there were three black wensiedales um and then later on three um white-faced woodlands so took them to uh, our first show that we went to was um, Hatfield House. They used to have an agricultural show there at Hatfield House. And, you know, turning up with a 16-seat minibus with kids from the middle of an estate in Vauxhall, you know, all from the surrounding area, Brixton, you know, all of um, Afro-Caribbean sort of heritage, turning up and then suddenly realising you are the only people like that there of that yeah. heritage you know me me having to explain to the kids you know you might get people that you may hear people saying things that aren't very nice uh was difficult for me you know thankfully 
the kids had a fantastic time and one of the yeah. testaments to that was and it's you know it's not it wasn't just about that there was a lot of kids all of them it was the first time that most of them have been to the countryside Hatfield's 20 yeah. minutes outside of London yeah these kids have grown up all they've seen is tower blocks around them we've turned up in a minibus and you know a trailer with a few sheep in and everyone was like you know oh Christ who the bloody hell are these turning up now from London, yeah. you always think sheep on telly and all this kind of stuff, you know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Very stereotypical farmer's accent there. You know, it's either people either think that you're from up north or down south, you know. So it's either yeah. either up north or hello there, my love, you're right. Like, that's how they expect me to sound, you know. Yeah. So yeah. we turned up a group of kids like this, never shown sheep before, but had, you know, I tried with my limited knowledge back then to get them to do it. And we were reserve longwall sheep champion reserve uh interbreed sheep champion of the whole show with uh, so that was champion hiller and heath as well with a white face woodland you and our young farmers stood one to six in their age groups you know so we had champion young handler as well which you know completely solidified that sort of ethos of a good stock person is born they never made and you know if that was now and we had the the means of social media that we do have now the likes of instagram yeah. and tiktok and everything like that all of those kids you know would have been on there and we would have been you know it would have been publicized to the hilt because of you know us but we it, you know for me we was a city farm in the middle of london that was just cracking on with what we was meant to do, you know, and we continued then to go to shows. We went to the dairy and livestock event when it was at the NEC, and we had a team of young farmers showing when they had sheep competition there. Some of the young handlers were then seen by some of the other farmers there and ended up showing red poles for Tatton Park um, in the cattle handling competitions, um, you know, and the thing is, is they're now all grown adults they're all very good friends of mine and we meet up regularly to see them oh, wow. and you know it wasn't just about farming we enabled these inner city kids um to have somewhere to go you know not going into too much detail but my upbringing wasn't as sort of roses and light as some people would may think it is but you know the farm was my escape. It was where I went to forget about everything that was happening and focus on what I enjoyed. And it was the same for all of those kids that came. You know, we were very lucky to have some very good fundraisers at the time at that particular farm, and we enabled them to go on skiing trips, you know, residentials. And I think it was through that that they forged such good friendships and have such fond memories of the farm so much so that there is talk of them all coming back and coming with me to a sheep show somewhere we don't know where yet and yeah. showing sheep at the big competitive classes now you know i mean goodness me that would be some sight to see you know a bunch of <laughs> bunch of grown adults of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds turning up to a big show and showing sheep around and about but you know that is that's what we need though isn't it exactly like, exactly and you know, it's uh, it's one of them things that I 
I think it's one of the other things I think is, is the main barrier to it because city farms are quite good at engaging people and feeding them in, but there needs to yeah. be that, that jump. There aren't any universities uh, in and around London that do or that shout about doing ag. Yeah. You know, I think if there were, that would then change, help to change the demographic. There's Absolutely. a lot of everything, really. Yeah, there's a land based college um, now that's pan London with its centres that has started to teach agriculture. Um, but I think one of the main problems is say 60, 90, not even that long ago, years ago, agriculture was a very attractive proposition to get into. Farmers were held up in high regard within the local community. They were seen, you know, as, as upstanding members of the community. You and know. you would have known, you would have known who your local farmer was yeah. as well, wouldn't you? Everybody and, you would know, have known. It was sort of like, you know, you knew who your policeman was, you knew who your, your yeah. vicar or priest was. Even if you weren't religious or you weren't in trouble, you knew who they were. You knew certain figures within the community. Farmers were those people. Um, now, farming is regularly sort of beaten with a stick. Farmers, agriculture in general, is ruining the planet and killing the earth. And, you know, I think sometimes some of the visitors to the farm think that when I mention that we eat lamb and beef and whatever, they have this vision of me running around the fields, bludgeoning little cute lambs and, and eating them whilst howling at a full moon. You know, that's not the case at all, obviously. I, I would like to think that I would be on some sort of, you know, I'd be locked in a room away from, so I don't think I'd be allowed in public if that was the sort of way that I carried myself on. Um, but I think now people strive to be a reality TV star. And I think human nature and society has changed, you know, and I don't think farming is as, or is as a desirable job you know and one of the things that it's not always the case but i think one of the things from talking to young people that have come through the farm whether they be whether it's mud shoot whether it was when i was working at other city farms talking to people from different backgrounds you know and is this a job that you'd want to get into one of the things that they that they used to say was that their parents in their country of origin their parents and grandparents or mainly their grandparents were farmers and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they didn't see it as a desirable job because they saw it as a low income, low paid job. But I think now worldwide, ag is changing. You've got IT specialists, you've got scientists, you've got all these different sectors and branches that come off of the one thing. And I think it's down to some of the leading organizations you know within farming in in the, in the uk and also as well the government need to really push and get behind us as an industry and us as farmers and support us yeah undeniably so you know because like i said earlier on we have some of the highest standards of animal welfare in the world we produce some of the the most amazing produce in this uk and, and we're a tiny little island yeah. in the grand scheme of things yet you know our sheep and cattle breeds have gone to found the largest industries within the world you know the Suffolk the Dorset the Hereford the Angus all of these breeds have gone off to you know Australia America New Zealand Canada 
enough cornerstones of those industries. We're a tiny little island. Yeah. But our breeds and our farmers created those and done that. If that's not something that we should be massively proud of, and that's one thing, then I don't know what is. But I think it's people just with regard to the, the barriers. Yes, inclusion is one. You know, but there's fantastic people in the industry, you know, voicing that. And like I say, if it was if it wasn't for the likes of social media and stuff like that, back in the day when I was taking these kids around and about, it was just we was going away for a fun weekend. And you didn't understand maybe I didn't understand the the sort of not maybe magnitude is the wrong word, but the scale of it. You know, yeah, the fact yeah. that the yeah. fact that we turned up and you know you looked around and there wasn't any one else of color there especially exhibiting you know but we held our own and we were there and people thought oh this young lad from london you know turned up with his minibus full of kids what do they think they're going to win and we did win and that was down to having good teachers and and people that actually invested in me i then shared my knowledge um but yeah i think i think those hopefully it's starting to change but still a lot needs to be done with regard to inclusion and diversity but other barriers you know i'm not from a farming family and land in london is stupidly priced mm, yeah um and nearly every vacant bit of land from the size of a postage stamp to an a3 envelope has got a block of flats on it so yeah yeah finding a farm or land to farm is very difficult. I mean, we've yeah. got some grazing that we have. Um, we we graze some some small paddocks for a beautiful, lovely couple down in the South Downs, just inside the national park there. So we rotate some of our animals around from Mudshoot to there. They've got a country residence as well as a city one, um, and we do little pockets of grazing around the around sort of the local sort of home counties. Yeah, I think for me as well, the the, you know, you, you hit on a good point before saying, you know, some some kids don't don't ever get to see the countryside. They don't step foot in a field. They don't drive past fields. Even just on you know, even on the way to the supermarket, they won't drive past a field. Education for me is really key at all levels, primary and secondary. Um, and I'm not sure where I'm not sure where the importance on certain things have come from because. You know, how long have you been able to go to college and study travel and tourism or, you know, any course like that? But to find a course that would enable you to enter the agricultural industry, it's not easy for people to find those to find those sorts of things. And that, so you, can, you can clearly see why people would give up and go and do something else. But that's the shame, you know, should we not be encouraging people to get into agriculture because we need farmers and it's that saying that you hear fairly regularly you know once in your life you may need a, a, a policeman a lawyer and a doctor but every day three times a day yeah. Yeah. no matter what no matter what your gastronomic persuasion is you know you will need a farmer that doesn't matter whether you eat meat or you don't that doesn't matter whether you're vegan pescatarian fruitarian whatever kind of terian you choose to be and people are able to decide that themselves every day for every bit of food that passes your lips you need a farmer 
So therefore, it should be an incentive for leading organisations, for the government to be pushing for agriculture to be featured more in lessons in secondary schools. Schools should have access to farms on a more regular basis. Colleges, yeah. land-based colleges should be teaching agriculture and it's an absolute travesty really for me that we don't have that level of incentive, that level of backing really, you know, because is it as easy as don't worry we'll just import stuff cheaper no it's not because there's more to it you know and one of the things that i have a lot of conversation with people here we see lots of people as you can imagine in and around the farm and one of the things that people say is oh but yeah you know out in the out in the countryside i say yeah but the level of the great british countryside that you go to every single piece is managed yeah you know yeah by some form of agriculture is managed in some way you know whether it be you know controlling invasive species of plants whether it be conservation grazing all of it is a big circle and usually at the center of that circle is farming you know and the, the, the thing is as well as I think you know farmers are custodians of the land and, and you always want to leave it in a better condition than when you took it over you know and for the next generation and I think it needs to that needs to happen but it's it's about organizations taking on board that there needs to be a push you know for schools to feature ag in it more you know and it's not always it shouldn't always be down to the farmers to shout because yeah, yeah. yes yes i will carry on shouting until i've got no voice you know but i'm only one person yeah there's big organizations that have more clout than me you know that have more clout than a hundred farmers and we we should be taken seriously as an industry and it should be something that is pushed for young people and made more attractive you know for people to get into um, and I think, I think as well do you know for example agriculture touches so many subjects like you're you're you don't just do one thing um imagine if you know you've got somebody you know a young person who wanted to be an engineer i could probably guarantee that maybe pushing them down the agricultural route isn't the first no. option that they're presented with no and this is the, this is the whole thing is you've got to look at how many branches there are in the industry now you know and you've got all of the all of the you know you've got all of the sort of with regard to say for example animal breeding you've got the scientists that deal with ai and stuff like that you know and all this kind of stuff you've got the nutritionists the the you know the, the everyone from it doesn't matter whether your interest is in animals plants machinery it whatever there's a branch of agriculture that involves that and people think when i say that i'm a farmer people th the people's initial thing is oh what so you spend your time milking cows with your hands up their backsides no 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 yeah they've got to break these stereotypes it's, it's and that's the problem is is there are massive stereotypes associated with farming and farmers and that unfortunately uh, is 
a big stigma that needs to be broken and you know sort of directives like farming can and stuff like this you know it, it, it's 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 massive in changing that and and it's starting to build more traction but also as well you know the i think the public perception is changing there's been a lot more positive programs televised in recent yeah. years that yeah, yeah, has, definitely. that has shown farming warts and all but then has also you know absolutely done wonders for changing the the perception of the industry but in every industry in the world you're going to have people that don't like it especially when it falls down to producing something to eat you're going to have people that don't like that but then you know like i said earlier on if you have a well-informed and opinion and that opinion has been based on actual facts not social media propaganda then you are fully entitled to your opinion absolutely 100% that is down to you but then you know it's the same way as everything and I think farmers have had a bit of a raw deal in more recent years with regard to the the level of sort of backlash that we've had with ruining the planet you know because the UK has got a massive regenerative ag push and you know most of our rare and native breeds of farm livestock can only eat grass and I think it's something like over 80% of our yeah. UK countryside can only grow grass you know and that's why yeah. we've probably got the most varied range of native livestock breeds than most countries you know and I think that's something to look at when we have to farm areas extensively not intensively and farm with nature rather than against it because it's more beneficial to us it produces a better end product and you know it, it, it provides something to write on a menu doesn't it you know how many restaurants do we go into now gastro pubs even you know when you read it's a 28 day aged grass-fed Aberdeen Angus beef burger triple cooked chips and whatever type of mayonnaise or sauce you've got with it all that stuff we do enables them to say that yeah and yet I think the, it, sorry no sorry i think i just said i think we are so it's so hard isn't it to kind of break out that shell because we we are in it and we can see all this wonderful stuff and we know what farmers on the ground are doing we know about the opportunities but to just try and, and break out of our bubble to to just tell people that it feels such, it's such hard work it doesn't matter how hard you know how much we try or how loud we shout it always feels like the, it's like kind of hitting your head against a brick wall doesn't it to try and tell people what we do and i think one of the other things as well and i think it's one of the reasons why it's not pushed as much but producing milk and meat in the uk is not pushed as much as a healthy alternative or as, a, as, as forming part of a healthy diet because yeah, yeah, yeah. people in power are too scared to upset people and worried that they may lose voters or whatever else like this. But in actual fact, farming on high welfare, which most, you know, regenerative, extensive farming systems, produces a product that is full of nutrition, full of vitamins and minerals, and an essential part in a balanced diet that cannot be replicated by any form 
of man-made product. And one of the things for me, um, nearly two years ago now, I had a very interesting conversation with a company that came here and wanted to, they wanted me to allow them to take biopsies of our rare breed pigs to add flavor to their lab-grown meat that they were growing because they said wow. that it was quite bland um, and they, they know that rare breeds are known for their depth of flavor. So would I be willing to take part in a project with them where they took biopsies of our rare breed pigs and, in, and somehow incorporated that flavor into their lab-grown meat? Wow, that's insane. You know, so I had a very sort of long conversation with them and I said, well, I don't want to be the farmer that's responsible for the demise of conventional livestock farming in the UK. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sell out the industry. And then when I started talking like that, they said, well, we've got millions of pounds to spend on this project. You would benefit from that here. Uh, you know, think of all the things that you could do, etc., etc. To which I turned around and said, no, thank you very much indeed. That's not something I want to be involved in. Um, and, you know, that's what I stuck by because I believe in what we do and what we produce here. And I believe in not only here, but the UK and what we do. And... No. This is why we've got to get to the kids, isn't it? This is why we've got to get to the kids to present them with the but facts. Absolutely. Um, when they're because... when they're labelling meat as cruelty free, yeah, and, and planet friendly, you know, those are words that people are going to go, oh yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, one of the things I heard on the radio last year was that Glastonbury is the the world's most vegan friendly festival. It takes yeah. place on a working dairy farm. You know, I mean, how much do these people that are pumping these facts out actually research? It takes place on a working dairy farm, and yet that's what it's televised or publicised as. You then have, um, you know, uh, all different sorts of things that, that are sort of churned out and about about these different things. And it's just like, where are you getting this information from? And do people not research it? Well, I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Marketing, marketing ourselves, marketing agriculture, we probably do fall down slightly on that. And it's actually no fault of our own, but we need, we need a strong message. We need to, it's like I said before, it's hard to break through that barrier. But, you know, if you look at the marketing of, you know, all these kind of anti-farming products or um, anti-meat products, I, I, it's like a fault it's follow the money situation isn't it we need to and i think we need one, to continue like, like, to joke about it ourselves yeah, absolutely and like i said before i think what what happens is a lot of people in power are concerned about upsetting yeah. a minority yeah. you know whereas a lot of people are more interested that you know one of the things i say as a livestock farmer i want people to eat less meat but of a better quality yes yeah yeah you know and that back when uh, i'll give you a sort of example um my nan bless her um she i remember when i did some of my first lambs myself and i said to her right, i've got some lamb i'm going to bring it for you to try and she ate it and i said to her so what do you reckon she said well this is what lamb used to taste like 
Yeah, yeah. Mean. And she said, well, when I was younger, you know, she was evacuated to the war, to Devon during the war and stuff like that. She said, I remember that that's what it used to taste like then. And then when I used to buy the stuff in the supermarkets, she said it was tasted like a load of rubbish. So, it, it, you know, and, and it's all about, like I said before, it's all about provenance and story and, and what goes into it. And these cattle and sheep breeds, these pigs that are reared outdoors, you know, these that are grazing on sort of, you know, the cattle and sheep that are grazing on these mixed pastures, these ancient hay meadows, these areas of conservation grazing and stuff like that, this varied herbage, it all adds depth of flavour, you know, and generally it's one of the reasons why the condiments are served with the meat that we eat because that enhances the flavour of what the animals used to forage on. You know. I also think as well, if you if you're somebody who's looking to kind of think of the opportunities there as well, that if you're if if you've kind of got an entrepreneurial mindset, um, look look at that story that you could build on. If that's that's an opportunity for somebody, isn't it? To kind Absolutely. of you know, pe- people want provenance, farm I mean, I'm, to plate, meat boxing. I'm guilty of not marketing the stuff that we produce here. I mean, a lot of our stuff, to be honest, just down to capacity and staff time. Um, goes straight through an abattoir. Yeah, and that's, yeah. You know, that's it. Um, but we have meat here that has, I'd say at most, 60 food miles. Born, yeah. raised and reared in the middle of London. You know, all the time the sheep are alive, their fleece is growing, sequestering carbon, you know, doing a fantastic job at that. And it's reared to a very high welfare standard they have fantastic lives they've enriched people's lives whilst they've been alive and they have the same dignity at the end as what they did at the start and i'll see them right the way through that from the moment they're lambed to all the way through i'll be there you know and and that i think is something that i need to shout about more and the industry you know you've got and but also as well and i think it's a it's a absolute travesty really you know the the sort of cost of living is having an impact on everyone every single person is having an impact on so the likes of them when they shop in the supermarket of opting for a more expensive british something than a cheaper foreign import is more likely but then that's Shame on the supermarkets for for not wanting to get behind British agriculture and support us at a better at a better time, you know, and and, yeah. and look yeah. at food mileage and importation mileage and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, and if you look at things from a different point of view, a lot of the you know the sort of anti-farming propaganda that's out there is done basic basic based on PR and how well it fits. So Veganuary, right? Fits in with the word, no other month in the year really. But it's probably the worst time for uh, UK fruit and vegetable producers because of the time of year and the limited produce that we have, mainly sort of root crops, etc. But it fits with the word. That's why it was chosen, I would have thought. You know, but why not if you're going to have a push at that? And it shows you that the concern is not necessarily about 
saving the planet, but it's being able to push a very marketing. Good... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and that's it. And you know, and that's the that's the shame about it. You know, is it's not done for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. Would you? Would you say that now is a good time for people to consider looking at a career in agriculture? Because there does, you know, there is, obviously we've talked about quite a few negatives actually, but there are so many positives. There's a, see, you know, there's a new wave of farmers coming through who kind of want to farm in a different way. For me, there's opportunities there. Do you think it's a good time for people to be considering Absolutely. the industry as a career? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I'm always going to say that, you know, always going to say that. And I think one of the things that I've found, social media has been fantastic. Uh, yeah. Contacting, getting farmers to connect, you know. I mean, to be honest with you, there's some fantastic social media far, uh, accounts out there that are set up by farmers, farming everything from arable, pigs, sheep and beef and whatever, you know, and farming in very different ways. But they're connected because their main thing is British ag and, and whatever like that. You know, I've got lots of Insta farming friends, I would say, that I speak to sort of fairly regularly. Some of them I've had the pleasure to meet in real life. Um, but it's a fantastic tool if used correctly. Um, and also as well, I think the key to it is it's an amazing industry to be in. You know, I was very lucky to meet very, very welcoming people that supported me, nurtured my enthusiasm and turned that initial spark of enthusiasm into a roaring fire. You know, and that is what I try and do with the job that I do. I try and be that person and, and, and get people into it um, like that. But. I don't think there's a better time, really. Yeah. There's a bit of a renaissance with everything that's being produced, whether that be meat, milk, fruit and veg, wool, whatever, arable crops. You know, everyone wants that that sort of well, I mean a key a key thing is, you know, despite what you may think of him personally, but Clarkson's farm has got a second series, has vast millions of people that view it. You know, yeah. and I think the first series gave a massive insight into agriculture that people hadn't seen before. Yeah, yeah. And the conclusion of that was without the status that he had or the wages that he received from the various enterprises that he did, he would have only made a £144 profit for working 365 days. You know, yeah. and that's the harsh reality of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. People, farmers you know a lot of the farmers that may have sort of land and stuff like that will be asset rich but cash poor um but i think it's a good it's a good time to get into it because you've got the different tools now you've got the social media you've got um you know fantastic publications that that support the industry and it's well i mean why wouldn't it be a good time people are wanting that provenance people are wanting that story people are wanting that link and we need as many people that are passionate about it as possible. It doesn't matter whether you're new entrant, whether you're 10th generation, if you're young, if you're passionate, if you're older and you're having a career change and you're passionate, you know, it's something that you need to get into and something that you need to do. And yes, it is a way of life 
and it's a vocation you know but do you know what it's one that I wouldn't ever do I, I don't see myself doing anything different you know I'll yeah. be I'll, yeah. I'll probably be one of them old farmers that's you know all crooked and can't walk properly lent on a crook at the side of a show ring in years to come you know but then if you look at what it's enabled me to do and where I've been able to to get to through the people that I've had contact with I'm now you know a trustee of the rare breed survival trust I'm a, a, a sheep and livestock judge and judge up and down the country at you know some of the biggest shows in the UK and that's not bad really is it from a kid from the middle of London um, but it shows you and it sh I hope that it shows everyone that I talk to about it that you can do whatever you set your mind to yeah. and people who are looking to get into ag no matter what their background no matter what their whether that be cultural religious whatever do you know what I'm saying that you can get into it it is something that you can get into and don't let those barriers be something that stops you because you can do it it can be done it will be successful and you know it is an industry that I've found to be very welcoming you know and it, it needs more people from different backgrounds to get into it and keep flying the flag and fighting the fight like you know I think the last thing that um, I want to touch on just completely stemming off from what you just said then is you know it is possible but what's your what would be your ultimate advice for anybody who is looking to get into the industry but has no idea where to even start what would you say to that person you I, I'd say that you'd need to go and get some experience just to find out if it is something that you've actually you know it's a very romantic idea um, and can be romanticized sometimes you know of running through fields of corn in the sunshine or you know throwing a bit of grain down to some chickens in the in a middle of a farmyard with a few lambs kicking about it's a completely different story when your hands frozen to a hose pipe or you're breaking ice on the on a water trough trudging through snow I mean luckily enough in London the pollution keeps us from getting some of that adverse the snow and everything like that we're a bit warmer than everywhere else but you know if you're lucky enough to get some experience find farmers that are that are keen that are interested that want to help and want to teach you you know and want you to get involved have a look at some of the the colleges and stuff like that that do if you're thinking of a career change or you know whatever evening courses or full-time courses in ag and stuff like that you know um places like us you know we do different things we run a, a chicken keeping course um you know people listen to me chattering about chickens um but in an urban environment because there's more people keeping chickens now in london than some other types of pets but try and find somewhere that gets you into it and is able to open a door for you to get a qualification uh, and get some experience and they might have more contact for getting um, more, more contact sorry for getting you in in the door whether that be through work experience on a local dairy farm or sheep farm or whatever an arable farm if that's what you want to get into you know and enjoy it you have to it's it's a it's an industry that you have to enjoy 
you know, you have to want to do it. But don't be put off by the naysayers. Don't worry about them. Don't let any of the barriers of you not being from a farming family, you being from the city, you being from a different culture or background, don't let that impact your decision. You know, you can do it. You can be a success in the industry and you can be proud of what you produce. You know, you still get you still get that along the way, but you will you will you will do it. If you've got the drive and the ter determination, you can and will do it. It's as simple as that. Thank you to Tom and to Emily and Olivia. If you want more information on getting started in a career in farming, visit fginsight.com forward slash careers. That'll take you to our Jobs in Agriculture hub, which contains career advice, insights from those in the industry, as well as job listings. That's it for Over the Farmgate this week. We'll be back with another episode next Friday. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now. Hold up. 